Today we continue our series, What is Church? We started off last week by framing church as part of discipleship. Being a follower of Jesus is what it means to be church. But discipleship itself is never meant to be a solitary journey. Discipleship was never meant to be a solitary journey. It was always meant to be in the company of others or in the company of church. But the problem is, a lot of people then say, well, what is church, right? What is church? That's the question we dealt with and we are dealing with in this series. And a lot of people think church is just something that you do, that it's a rote thing, and it becomes this dead obligation that you go through. And you find out that this becomes a dead obligation when people say, oh, I, I got to go to church. I don't want to get up so early for church, or it takes too long to go to church, and all of that stuff. When people say that, you know that it, church has just become a dead obligation. However... The root meaning of church means called out ones, the assembly or the called out ones. But the question you have to ask is, well, who calls you out? Who calls you out? And from our lesson last week, it is Jesus. Jesus is both the architect and the foundation of the church. Without him, there is no church. He is the rock on which the church is built. And remember Peter's confession last week? Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's the confession that each one of us has with who Jesus is. He is the Christ, the Christ, the Son of the living God. He is our Redeemer. He is our Lord and Savior. And thus, when we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that he was raised from the dead, that's the salvation. That's our confession. That's the rock on which we stand. We say in Christ, there is no other Redeemer. There is no other Savior. And so you and I, when we assemble and we gather and we confess this together, you and I are the church. Okay? We're the church. But now the question is, okay, so what do we do now? (laughs) Right? We've confessed. But what do we do? So this morning we are going to look at some fundamental functions of the church. These are so fundamental that if you don't have this within the body, you don't have a church. So we're going to go to our reading from Acts today, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. If you have your Bibles, please open up. I'm going to read the whole section again. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. 
And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This week and next week, we are going to focus specifically on one verse. It is verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. That's this week. So we've got teaching and fellowship. And then next week, it will be the breaking of bread and prayers. These are four fundamental functions of the church. So let's talk about teaching. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. When we take a look at the text in the original language, it's stronger than our translation says. The Amplified Version says it this way, they were continually and faithfully devoting themselves to the instruction of the apostles. Now, that's the sense of it. They were continually and faithfully doing it. I actually like the King James Version the best on this one. I don't often use the King James, but I look at a a variety of translations. The King James says this, and they were steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. And they were steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. So, steadfast. Steadfast isn't a word that that we use too much, but it's a really good word. Steadfast means unwavering, unfaltering, unswerving, resolute, firm. So, what they were doing, the apostles in teaching the doctrine, and the people who were listening to the teaching... They were steadfast in it, unwavering, unswerving. They had a hunger to learn, to know who Jesus is. And you don't find that in the church nowadays, especially, right? If church is just this thing you go to that it's a rope to do, you just go through, you get done, you hope it's not too long, but there's no hunger And our churches right now are starving because people are not hungry. They're not thirsty. You see, what did the apostles really teach about? They taught about Jesus and salvation through him alone. That's what they taught about. That was their whole focus the lordship of Jesus, the bodily resurrection of Jesus, that you are saved by grace through faith alone, that Jesus would come again. These are the main teachings that they taught people, and people were hungry to hear about Jesus. So how did they go about the teaching? Well, they gave their testimony You have to remember, it was the apostles who were with them for three years. They soaked in the teaching. They saw what he did. They were eyewitnesses. And so they gave eyewitness testimony to who Jesus is. I love the apostle John. If you look at 1 John, verses 1 through 3, he makes it so clear, you can't get around it. He says, that, what, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon, and we have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, 
the life was made manifest and we have seen it and we testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us that which we have seen, heard, we proclaim. Do you get it? I mean, he pounds that in. We were there, we saw, we touched, we heard. We're proclaiming what we have directly from Jesus. That's what they proclaimed. Jesus, over and over again. They also taught from the Old Testament. Remember, the New Testament wasn't written yet, was it? They taught from the Old Testament. They didn't think suddenly because Jesus was here that the Old Testament was now useless. No, far from it. They kept quoting and quoting and quoting and referring back to, they would say, oh, did you know this refers to the prophecy of Jesus? That's what they did. Now, this is what we're doing in our Bible study. Matthew especially, Matthew especially, his focus, part of his focus, was really tying in the New Testament to the Old Testament to help the Jews understand who the Messiah was, who the Messiah is. You've all heard this, right? During Christmas, during Advent, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, quote Matthew 1:23, and then I'd like to find out if you actually know where it's from. Matthew 1:23, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Do you know what book of the Bible that's from? Isaiah. See, the Jews of the day, the converts, they would have known that. You and I, we should know that too. Because the Bible is one testimony. It's not just this old thing and then this new thing. It's one testimony. That's why in our Bible study, that's why in messages, there's a lot of cross-references because we want the fullness of God's Word here. But, it's, but you have to understand, it wasn't just the apostles who did that. They were actually modeling Jesus. Do you remember after the resurrection, Jesus was on the road and he met two guys going to Emmaus, the road to Emmaus? And uh, they were talking, and they were like, wow, all this stuff that's been happening. This is my paraphrase, by the way. So all this stuff's been happening. And Jesus says, well, who are you talking about? They say, you haven't heard. And finally, they just don't get who's walking with them. So Jesus, he chides them. This is from Luke chapter 24. Jesus says, oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. See, there's one pastor I heard, you know, you, you play the game. When would you like to be with Jesus Right? Some people, transfiguration, the resurrection. One pastor said, on the road to Emmaus, I'd really like to know how all of that fit together and be so sure of what Jesus said. Now, we do have his word, and we can be sure. 
but it was the Old Testament also that they taught. Thus we teach the fullness of God's word here. And they were eager to hear that. Look, what a far cry that is from our church nowadays. See, you see a lot of churches, they say, oh, we want to be relevant. And you know how they're relevant? The pastor will dress up as Elvis. No kidding, I've seen that. I've seen a pastor take a motorcycle and ride into the church to grab people's attention. You bet. And the chancel becomes a stage in which people perform, not this area in which the gospel's proclaimed. I mean, if I told you all the stories of how people have tried to grab somebody's attention because we want our ears tickled, it would just, it should make you sick, actually. But not only that, let's say there's not all the show. I also mentioned last week how Jesus becomes less than. And so if Jesus becomes less than, then you get social justice, all the, uh, all the social actions. You get prosperity preaching. You get a lot of uh, preaching just becomes self-help. That's it. But you know what? The apostles... The disciples, they didn't do that because they knew it was a matter of salvation. And so they proclaimed Christ, him crucified. You have to understand this. Theology matters. Theology is this understanding of God. And doctrine is not a bad word, by the way. Doctrine simply means teaching. That's what the King James Version used, uh, the, the doctrine, the teaching. When you don't have sound doctrine, any doctrine will do. So the question is for you today, are you steadfast? Are you steadfast in God's word, in learning, in growing deep? You see, one person said it like this, and I really like it. The Bible is to be our bread of life on a daily basis, not like a cake that's saved for a special occasion. I'm going to say it again. The Bible is to be our bread of life on a daily basis, not like a cake for a special occasion. Colossians chapter 3, starting with verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Brothers and sisters in Christ, look, if we took this seriously, if we took this seriously, just this alone, this would transform our church and it would transform your lives. Now, the second thing that they had was fellowship. Fellowship is really a churchy word, isn't it? It's, I mean, really, if you're a new believer or you've never known about Christianity and people say, hey, you want to have some fellowship time? You're like, is that a code or something? Is that, you know, is that like a, a password that you got to say to get in this particular church? And Oh, I know if you visit another church and they say, 
why don't you stay afterwards for fellowship? You're like, mm, palms might start to sweat a little bit. Like, no, no, we got plans. We're good to go. You know, there is that. Because we have this idea of fellowship, we don't want to get too close somehow. Oh, yes, yes, we can have fellowship with coffee and cake, and that's a good thing to do. By the way, I like coffee, I like cake, all that stuff. That's good to do, so don't hear me wrong on that. I'm not saying get rid of that. I think that's a good thing to do, because it helps ease our tensions a little bit. But is that all fellowship is? And that's the question I want you to think about today. Is that all that fellowship is? You see, just as the word church was the first time used in the Gospel of Matthew, the word fellowship is now found first here in the book of Acts. First time it's used regarding the very beginning of the church. The root meaning of fellowship is commonness or commonality. The sense of that is they had all things in common together. And when we think about all things in common together, we have to start with the most important thing together. So it's not just sharing the physical things. What do we have most in common together? So I'm going to go back to 1 John chapter uh, 1, chapter th- uh, verse 3, then uh, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. So, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.9 God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. 2 Corinthians 13.14 The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. Do you hear this, what the fellowship is actually grounded in? The fellowship is grounded in God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That is our fellowship. And specifically now, as disciples of Christ, our fellowship is found first and foremost in Jesus. So, let me ask you, rhetorically here, what kind of fellowship did Jesus have with them? I mean, he ate with them. He supped with them, right? But was that it? Was that all of his fellowship? Or was there a little bit more to it? You see, the fellowship in Jesus was this. He encouraged them. He comforted them. He grieved when they grieved. He was moved by compassion to feed them, to care for them. To heal them. He helped keep their sights on the eternal hope before them. He helped them understand who he is. He taught them to search the scriptures. And on occasion, he rebuked them, sometimes very sternly. They got into petty arguments. They sinned. And do you know what he did? He also forgave them. With grace and mercy, he offered forgiveness. He was a servant to them. He washed their feet. He gave his life for them. That's the fellowship Jesus had with them. It's what Paul wrote in Galatians 
chapter 6, we share one another's burdens. Later on, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are in the household of faith. That's the church, right? And especially to those who are in the household of faith. So on one level, what does this mean? Well, it means we roll up our sleeves and we help our brothers and sisters who are in need here. Right? That's what we do. It could be running errands for them. It could be uh, helping them buy things. It could be washing dishes for them. My previous community, there was a person who just, I came over and washed dishes because he had some difficulty. But it isn't, isn't it interesting when you want to offer that type of fellowship? Imagine what he said. No, you, you can't do that. You're the pastor. Yeah, so? So what? I mean, I actually had to be firm with him. I said, I'm going to wash your dishes. Because that's fellowship. And that's love. And that's what we're supposed to do. Now, if you really want fellowship, pray with one another. We're going to talk about that next week, but pray with one another. A foundational function of Christian fellowship is prayer with one another. See, that fellowship is there. There's an openness and there's a vulnerability that we shy away from. Fellowship also means where there is joy, we laugh and we are joyful with others. Where there is not joy, where there is sorrow, we grieve and we offer encouragement. We remind our brothers and sisters of the promise in Christ Jesus when they forget. And we remind them that Jesus is the rock of our salvation. You see, this type of fellowship goes beyond church. Do you understand this now? This is not just like get together a little bit on a Sunday. This is the fellowship of the body of Christ. And just as true discipleship is costly, so is true fellowship. It means being willing to serve others even when you're uncomfortable. It also means asking others for help even when you're uncomfortable. This is true fellowship in the body of Christ. Paul in Philippians. By the way, he wrote this when he was in jail. Talk talk about difficult times. But he wrote this. He said, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, But in humility, count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours, in Christ Jesus. That's fellowship. So the foundation of the church is Jesus. And two of the primary foundational functions of the church... The apostles' teaching, or teaching of God's word, and fellowship. So here's my question for you. 
How thirsty are you to learn and grow deep? Really, what's your thirst level? What's your hunger level? What would it take for you to be so hungry that you're like, Pastor, we got to learn. We got we to gotta dive deep here. How hungry are you? How thirsty? And the next question is, what is your level of fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ? That's probably uncomfortable questions today. But this is what church is. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for the great love you have for us. We thank you for sending the Holy Spirit to encourage and convict us where needed. I pray this morning that we just grow hungry and thirsty to grow deeper and deeper in love and knowledge of you. And that that love overflows into the fellowship of our brothers and sisters in Christ. This I pray in your name. Amen.